Welcome to The Grind, a podcast about the church planting process and missional strategies to make disciples of all nations. Coming to you from the offices of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, here are your hosts, Dave McClung and Chad Grigsby. Welcome back to The Grind, everybody. Uh, So glad you've chosen to join. Uh, I am Dave McClung. With me always is a Tennessee shirt-wearing buddy. Chad Grigsby. Uh, I'm a glutton for punishment, Dave. What can yeah, I say? you know, and it's getting to that season. Uh, does Tennessee play this weekend? West Virginia in the something. Yeah, kickoff. Yeah. I think I think Arkansas <laughs> plays like I don't know Dallas A and M Tech State. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we kick off this weekend as well. So uh, college football is about to ramp back up. And uh, so, uh, hey, we are excited today to have our good buddy Brian Fry uh, on with us. Say hi, Brian. Hey, guys. Uh, glad to be on with you at the grind today, man. Yeah, all the way from Ohio. So, you want to talk about Ohio State football, Brian, right now? Yeah, I, uh, I don't want to say anything about Ohio State football right now. <laughs> we have sinned and we've been better. All right, that's it. That's all that we need to talk about. Uh, excited to have Brian on, man. Uh, want to talk about collegiate church planting. Uh, Brian is with North American Mission Board, and I guess and an Ohio State Convention, and yeah. kind of the the collegiate church planting guru uh, now in <laughs> in the world. Yeah. World. It, it's so it's so hard to think about it that way, but uh, <laughs> I, guess, I guess I'm a little bit uh, knowledgeable in the field. That's right. That's right. And so we're going to dive into this conversation. Uh, in Arkansas, we have, uh, r- r- I guess, really our kind of first official uh, collegiate church plant. We've had other college ministries that have morphed into churches in the past uh, with Journey Church in Jonesboro and and City Church in Conway. But uh, this is the first one kind of cranking up uh, you know, starting in a couple of weeks with Hello Church in Russellville, Arcan- on the campus of Arkansas Tech. And so we're really excited about that. And uh, so as this conversation kind of ramps up in Arkansas, it's not a new conversation nationwide, but new to Arkansas. And so we thought it'd be great to have Brian on. We can kind of talk uh, about uh, all of this. So kind of just to, to kick off, why don't you kind of talk about your journey first uh, you know, as in ministry and how you landed in campus ministry, collegiate ministry, and then now kind of becoming the face of, you know, you know hitchhikers conference. What a face it is, right? What a, what, a, what a face. What a face. Well, listen, it's pretty crazy to realize that as a kid in elementary school, I heard my mom talk about collegiate ministry and how important it was. When I left for college, when I arrived at Oklahoma State, I knew two things. I needed to do well in school, and I needed to be a part of collegiate ministry. My mom and dad met through Chi Alpha at Oklahoma State years and years before, and it left an indelible mark on my mom and my dad and then obviously our family. So when I got there, I thought, okay, I'm going to be involved in this thing. I was very involved at Oklahoma State uh, Baptist Collegiate Ministry. Also involved in Hillcrest Baptist Church for those uh, Hillcrestians that are back there, Hillcrestians that are back there. Hello, all, all of you who may be listening in from Stillwater. But I was very involved there. I went to Passion in 1997, 
that first year that oh, wow. uh, Louis Giglio, the guys got going in. And really, I'd say that that solidified my call to ministry. Came back, was on staff at BSU for a couple of years, Baptist Student Union or Baptist Collegiate Ministry. I did a year of seminary through Southwestern, and we ended up moving out to Louisville, Kentucky, and that's where I did MDiv. Um, and really had a, had a desire to have as much kingdom impact as possible, even as a college student. So that really excited kind of view of things, really wanted to see things happen, did my MDiv, and uh, was persuaded uh, by a guy named Chuck Lawless to do PhD work. Uh, he has, uh, he's challenged many of us along the way. And uh, when I started working, my very first seminar, we studied American evangelists and, and their impact. And I had to pick one, so I picked Bill Bright and his leadership of Campus Crusade and saw how this guy in 1951 started a college ministry. And then, I mean, 50 years later, it had become an organization of 225,000 staff. Uh, part-time and full-time that were impacting things around the globe. So I was intrigued by that, um, that movemental kind of idea. The more I was reading about college students, the more I was understanding their impact in a short-term kind of way on them specifically, how college impacted them, how the gospel impacted them in college. And then the more I understood the implications of what happens if they embrace and live the gospel, just the more, the more I got locked into it. So uh, did that, and we had uh, we had kiddos and seminary, and I actually switched my switched my dissertation off to multi site to study that uh, because it had that movemental kind of expansion kind of mindset. So I, I was struggling with that, and we were we, we had a two year old, and we had twins on top of two year old, and I remember sitting on the couch and feeling like, man, our world just seems so crazy. It felt like God's supposed <laughs> to Moving to Ohio. So we moved up to Ohio into a collegiate ministry role, Bowling Green State University, University of Toledo. It was a Baptist collegiate ministry slot, but it really, uh, frankly, it was a collegiate church planting thing. And I didn't understand that at the time. And I remember trying to figure out, okay, we're in a place where there are not a whole lot of churches and we're reaching these college students and we've brought them into our college ministry, but I'm trying to connect them to a church. So there was this disparity there and I was Trying to figure, okay, how does this all fit together? And uh, long story short, we wind up uh, in a couple years later after we had built the ministry up there at Bowling Green and University of Toledo on state convention staff. My first day on the job, I meet a collegiate church planner. He pokes me in the chest and says, you guys are Southern Baptists. You're the biggest and, and largest, most effective denomination out there. Man, you got to ha- know how to do collegiate church planning. And I'm like, bro, that's anathema in our circle. Now, we don't do that kind of thing. And, uh, and, I mean, he just, he kept, his name's Ed Travers. He's now a pastor, one of the pastors in Life Point in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. But Ed just, I mean, he pushed and pushed and said, man, you've got you to figure out the solution on that. So that began, began this journey in 2008, so August 15, 2008. We had that conversation. And since then, it's just been a growth of figuring out guys who are doing it. We knew of a dozen collegiate churches at that time. Now we know, or we're working with over 100 of them across the U.S. and Canada. So it, uh, in, in fact, there will be 19, including the one in Arkansas, including Hello Church, 19 that launched this coming fall. fall oh, wow. So it's, uh, it's been crazy. So the, the journey, when you really boil it down, is pursuing God because I, I believe he, pursuing his direction because I believe he's calling me to impact the next generation of students, the next generation, the world. And it seems like the most strategic place on planet Earth to do that is on the college campus with those four years that college students have there 
when they're starting over from scratch in a lot of ways and are incredibly mobile and malleable and incredibly movemental. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Wow. Well, and, and we, we were talking before the podcast, this is not a new conversation. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're going back even in your journey, you know, pretty good ways uh, back to kind of some of the early passion stuff. But, you know, this is a, what you said, 30 year conversation with uh, H2O Network being the, the oldest. Uh, yeah, H2O Bowling, at Bowling Green State University, they've hit their 30 year mark now. So that's a collegiate church that's been on a college campus doing what we're talking about uh, for that time. Uh, when you look over at the Salt Network guys, uh, they hit 24 years uh, this year. Uh, the guys up at Resonate Washington State, they hit their 11-year mark this year. Uh, if you go to Grace Point over in the University of California system, man, they've been going on for 20, 24 years as well, somewhere, somewhere in that range. So when people hear Collegiate Church Planting, it, partially it's new because of the moniker, right, the label to it, the idea right. of Collegiate Church Planting. Um, in fact, the, the term collegiate church planning has another meaning, uh, a way of doing church back in England and, and uh, the British Isles for centuries ago. Uh, but now that focus on collegiate, we're using it in a little bit different way. But it, it's nothing new per se. Uh, it's a 25, 30 year old concept. It's just that we're beginning to invest in it more. And more than that, God is just moving among college students in a, in a pretty specific and a pretty exciting way. Yeah, Man, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So you said that, uh, after talking to Ed Travers that, you know, you felt like it was anathema to to like collegiate (laughs) church planting. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the dynamic of kind of campus ministry church planting. Cause we, there seems to be at least a shift towards church planting, uh, as far as in our Southern Baptist tribe, more than there has been. I mean, like you said, it's nothing new, but there's a kind of a deeper investment. So talk a little bit about the tensions, not that, not that either one is better than the other or that, that we're saying you should put all your eggs in one basket. But there is this, there is this question, if you, if you were going to do something on a campus, would you do BCM? Would you plant? What, what are the strengths of and challenges of both? Just kind of talk through that a little bit from your perspective and what you see. Yeah, I, I'd be glad to. And first, let me say, every, everyone listening in, uh, the where, how I want to start is just with this statement. We need more and more people, more and more assets, more and more everything, investing in college students on the college campus. So when you look at most church budgets, those who are in college towns, uh, you, you look at uh, how much is invested in youth ministry, you look at how much invested in children in the building and salaries and um, even some of the, even, so I know David James is retiring this week, right? Or, <laughs> you know, I don't want to say anything bad about it, but those, those, those teenagers, right? The, the senior programs, most of the time, college ministry, college investment is, is the smallest investment that churches are making when it comes to a ministry niche, at least those in, in college towns. And at the same time, it's really, I would argue, uh, the highest leverage point that churches can give it's because if you can impact college students in that four-year window man you think about the the marriages that they enter into you think about the marketplace that they into yeah, I mean all of that stuff if you can engage them with the gospel and what, and what they learn during that college experience they tend to live out for life so I'm going to say we all need to be focusing on college students we need more and more people assets ministries churches everything to college campus yeah so Having said that, to answer your question, Chad, originally you said, hey, man, 
tell, tell us a little bit about the tension you faced. Well, when I walked into that meeting, everything inside of my head said, we do Baptist collegiate ministry. The, we do a, a collegiate ministry that is an arm of the church. Some people would say it's parachurch. So it is not the church. So we don't do church on campus. We do ministry to college students on campus. So that line of demarcation, we're not going to be the church. We're going to do things that engage the lost. We're going to make disciples. We're going to send out missionaries. We're going to take Southern Baptist kids and other kids that are coming out of church. We're going to bring them together and cultivate them and grow them. And that was what I understood was acceptable. So it took conversations in state convention life in Ohio to say, okay, can we do this collegiate church planting? Can we plant churches among college students? Sometimes that's a college student that actually starts the church. I've met guys who are 17, 18, 19 who hit the college campus and they start and you're like, you're, you're crazy. You can't do that. But wow. in mine, it works really well. In fact, as a side, when you look around Southern Baptist convention life for a minute, I can start naming off names of guys, guys like John Mark Clifton, John Mark planted when he was 21 years old, and he actually did some earlier stuff. Uh, when you look at Clint Clifton, the guy who's hit military bases, he's the same kind of way. Dahati Lewis, VP Sin Network, Jeff Christopherson. I mean, a lot of these guys are in that early, early age when they start planting. Guys like Rick Warren are there too. Yeah. So the, the idea of planting churches with that age group seems kind of scary for a lot of folks. But what, what it is, how it differentiates is you're not saying – Hey, you can't do this. You, you don't say to college students, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. You can't yeah. do this. You're saying, okay, you're going to be the church. You are going to understand what it means to be a part of church. You're going to understand what it means to make disciples. And you're going to have to tithe to see this thing go. And our, our ask of you is to give your whole life to this mission, this holistic mission of what you do. So what parachurch or what collegiate ministry is, is a part of what the church does. But it's not the whole of what church does when you say we're going to be the church on college It's everything that the church does. Yeah. And that, I think that's, that's the biggest line of differentiation or demarcation. Again, doing similar things, gospel, discipleship, missions, but one says you are the church and one says, well, we're not yet that. We're kind of that. And that's, yeah. that's the big thing. Well, my, my daughter, I have two kids in college now, and uh, my daughter is a sophomore at Arkansas State in Jonesboro. And she got real plugged in to Journey Church in Jonesboro, buddy Dan Reeves there. And, uh, and I, we had one of these moments, uh, last, end of last semester, as she's now part of their uh, leadership teams, leading a small group. And they have just brought her in to give her space to grow and lead. You know, and, and I've seen a lot of churches that you know, have a college ministry, but there's not really space for those college students to lead, you know, to, to learn, to fail, to grow. And, 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 and that's, and you said it while ago, I mean, this is the point in their life where they're getting married. Some of them are having children, they're choosing career paths. This is major monumental life decisions going on in this time. And to, to give space where that can be shaped and molded and encouraged and they can grow, you know, into the leaders that God's making them to be, that's one of the issues I've seen so much. I'm excited about the church, collegiate church planning conversations in those conversations, in those plants, there is space for them to grow and lead and, mm. and learn. And, uh, and I, you know, I've watched that with my daughter. She, she, she was telling 
uh, her mom and I the other night that, you know, dad, we've got to get these students as freshmen. If we don't get them as freshmen, we're, you know, we're not going to keep them. And then we're going to plug them into small groups right away. And she's just giving this pipeline so conversation. Good. I texted Dan. I said, Hey, you ought to be proud. You know, it's working. <laughs> and, uh, it, well, and, and let's just, just to put on the record, I think Dan, Dan Reeves and what they did with Journey Church and what started Arkansas State, that was in SBC life, one of the early collegiate churches that started out. So yeah. I don't know that you guys want to claim that all the time, but Dan Reeves, yeah. super cool guy, what's happening there is incredible. So I, it, it is, it's really good to see that. Yeah. I think sometimes what, uh, what happens, and, and maybe it's to say all the time that it happens, when we reach lost college students, people who don't have a relationship with Christ, and we bring them into a collegiate ministry environment, there is a struggle for them to understand, okay, so I've come to Christ, now I'm involved in the collegiate ministry, and I mean, I'm loving this, I have community, now this is great. And then we say, oh, well, but we also need you to be involved in a local church. And so there's like a, a conversion that takes place within the college ministry context. And then we have to kind of convert them to that idea of church too. And that, that at times creates a tension there that, that can be difficult. What that church gives us, the, the church model gives us when you're reaching college students is a holistic bent that we can lead them in a relationship with Christ, bring them into a biblical community, bring them into cross-generational discipleship, and then move them forward into mission. And there's really not a seam or any kind of break between those. And I think it's a, the, there's just greater continuity in that environment. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of tensions and I, you know, you can, you can talk about this if you want. You can not talk about it if you don't want. But one of the tensions I see when I'm talking with guys, like I've had several conversations with guys that are thinking about collegiate ministry, thinking about planting on a campus, and kind of the traditional way we've done it in Southern Baptist life is Southern Baptist churches are helping fund the actual work of BCM on the campus. It's not the only stream, I guess, but it's one of the streams. And so then you have like this church planting conversation that's kind of like, look, instead of us doing ministry on the campus and then funneling students to the churches, we're actually going to plant on campus and funnel the students to, to the church on campus. So there is this tension between, okay, how do you do that with maybe without feeling like you're infringing upon the college ministries of the churches in that community? Mm. And then, so how do you, how would you speak to maybe the pastor of an established church. And then on the flip side, what would you say to the planter <laughs> as he's kind of coming in, knowing that there's that tension? I think we're kind of dealing with some of that. Not that there's, there's, there's no hostility. No. Cause it's not really happening. There may be from time to time in other places. Yeah. Well, yeah. We just, <laughs> we're, just, we're trying to think about it as we start helping facilitate these things how do we have wisdom to good. help guys and help churches? Does that make sense? Oh, That's part of that of tension. That. Absolutely. How have you navigated that? So I think early on, um, I didn't know how to navigate that. There's there been some painful conversations along the way. I think both ways. Sometimes you have a, a collegiate ministry leader who views anybody coming onto the college campus and they almost take a comedy mindset, that mindset that, Hey, if we get an outpost on that campus or I get an outpost in that city, that area is covered. So we, we've had collegiate ministry folks say, hey, man, I'm on there. I've, I've got it covered. Let, let me be the pathway. And uh, that, that's, that's caused tension because typically, I mean, collegiate ministries, even some like ones that are really significant numerically, you know, for them to hit 500 or 1,000 or even 2,000, 
when you take the number of students that are on that campus, on a 15,000 student campus, or a 20,000 or 60,000 students, it's really just a drop in the bucket. So uh, in, the, in the same way, you have a, a guy who's doing collegiate church planning come on and say, hey, man, there's never been a gospel presence in this community. <laughs> really, so when I, when I have these conversations with guys, what I've learned to do is say, hey, man, let's, let's talk about kingdom first. Right? Let's yeah. talk about big picture what is God's plan for us? What are we supposed to be doing? And what we know is there's unity in reaching people who are lost. There is a call from God to make disciples of all nations. And the more that we are at odds with each other, the more that we are not complementary to each other, that we don't help each other, the worse it is. In fact, I had a situation where I got called by a collegiate ministry leader of another tribe, and then we had a guy in our collegiate tribe, and these two dudes were fighting on a campus, and it had gotten, I mean, they were just at loggerheads, and one of the guys said, well, if we can't figure it out, we're going to take it to the administration, and they're going to figure it out for us. So let me just pause for a second and say, we have two believers who is yeah. taking a problem to administration who may or may not believe and say, hey, figure out our problem for us. Listen, brothers, this should not be. right. We, yeah. we should be working in unity and actually for one another. So the mm -hmm. first thing I do is say, hey, man, Let's, let's focus on kingdom on this kind of thing. Our, our call is to reach the campus. So that's first thing. Second thing is I'll often draw a box on a tear sheet. I, I have affinity for tear sheets. I don't own yeah. stock in 3M, but I need to go ahead and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I put the tear sheet up and draw a box out, and I'll say, hey, how many students are on your college campus? So let's say they put 20,000. Say, okay, just put 20,000, name your campus, and then I want you to make a box for every collegiate ministry proportionate to the size of the students that are engaged in that box uh, somewhere on this thing. But again, make it proportional. So I'll say every ministry you know of and, and they'll draw boxes. And what happens is, man, the boxes, they don't even generally, uh, they don't even consume 5% of that student body. Yeah. So yeah. what I tell pastors, what I tell collegiate ministry guys, everybody is if we go after those who are in a relationship with Jesus on the campus, if that is our target, there's always going to be conflict, right? Because their students are trying to figure out where the freshmen coming in. What am I going to be a part of? What are I going to be doing? But if we will go after people who we know don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's an entirely different mindset. It's an entirely, it's more difficult. It's more challenging. But if we will go after the percentage of the students who aren't engaged, who are not being pursued currently, and we'll try to reach them. Listen, we can have a church for a thousand people on that campus, right? Mm. We can have 200 churches on the campus and we'd still be okay in the process, but we've got to move past that. Hey, we're trying to keep the kids that we already have. That is bad. That's a bad philosophy. That's a bad way of doing it. And it's always going to cause tension. Whereas yeah. if we look after those who aren't in relationship with Christ, it's an entirely different game. Yeah. You won't have com competition. In fact, as you see over in Europe where you're really trying, where the church is not doing well and they're trying to see growth. Yeah, people championing this and, and even outside of Europe globally in places where the gospel is trying to grow well or the gospel is growing most is where guys working in collaboration. Again. Yeah. Well, you know, and, wow. and this is the same, it's really the same conversation we have about church planting in particular communities around the state is Arkansas is considered a churched state. I mean, there's buildings on every corner, you know, that doesn't mean that the church always gathers there, but there's buildings on every corner, but even like, you know, Arkansas tech, you know, Brad, you know, at, you know, I guess his height, you know, would maybe run about 200 students, uh, in his BCM ministry, there's 12,000 students on yep. that campus. Yep. And so, and, and I guess he's probably the largest, that would be my guess on campus. 
but that's a great picture just to put the little box, put a 200, you know, person size box in a 12,000, you know, person size box. And it's, it is just a drop in the bucket. And, it, and it, when you start working on that, you, you begin to say, okay, who do you have in your church that is in that university, staff, man, faculty, anything like that? Or where do you have inroads to that university, persons of peace? And then you, what I will do is draw a picture, draw circles and say, man, where do you have, what are the three places on that campus? So if you leverage your time and energy and resources, your assets towards those three areas, it's going to work better. And yeah. you're not going to be concerned about hurting those other guys or even competing with them. Yeah. Into lost pockets. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so what I hear you describing is we just need to count what Jesus counts, right? We need to have the metrics of Jesus. I mean, you know, Jesus said, you know, leave the 99 to go after the one, the one that's lost. And what we tend to do is count the metrics, metrics. Okay. What do we have? How many do we have versus, okay, who's, who's out there that we haven't yet impacted. And when you switch that versus keeping what we have to counting who's actually lost and going after them, it does, it kind of disarms you a little bit. Uh, when you look around and go, man, we're 95% of this campus is unreached. Yeah. And I, and I tell you, if, if you really want to press on the, on this issue, if somebody's saying, Hey, we've got it covered, we've got, we're there. Then you ask them to take, man, how many people do you have in your largest gatherings? What is that number? And then how many conversions or how many baptisms have you had this last year? So if, if they say, man, we've got 200 here and we've had two, well, that's problematic, right? Because if you're not having, I mean, if that's your conversion ratio, that's, that's no good. Most of the collegiate churches we're working with right now have a 10 to 1 conversion ratio, and some of them have a 5 to 1 conversion ratio. Wow. So we, we are pressing them. That's one of the questions. Anytime somebody says, hey, I want to plan a collegiate church, man, tell me how many people you've led. Tell me the size of the group right now. How many conversions have you had? And the moment that I hear anything less than 10 to 1, I say, hey, listen, bro or sister, hey, listen, before you go down the pathway, <laughs> trying to lead a bunch of people towards planting, whether you're a church planting team limit or, or you got people on, you guys got to get your evangelism numbers right. And that needs yeah. to be a 10 to one conversion ratio. And I'm and they would, sometimes they'll push back and say, ah, I don't know, but we're working on it. I say, listen, it, it, to get to that 10 to one, if you will spend the time, you go out and you share the gospel on campus and you're training students to share the gospel on campus, you're going to hit the 10 to one because yeah. I mean, we've seen it. It's evident. And I've seen it all across the country in different niches and areas that would be much more difficult than yours in some ways. So yeah. It's a key one great, to you. Great stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we've, and we've talked a little bit around this, uh, you know, and mentioned some of the names along the way, you know, what are some of the models out there that are really being effective with this, you know, with H2O resonate, whatever, and maybe some of the distinctives, because uh, each each you know each campus has its own culture, and you know each part of the country has different nuances as well. You know, and I'm sure there's a lot of contextual elements we could talk about and all this. But you know, what are some, kind of some of the models out there, and and just some of the distinctives of each one? Who's doing yeah. what well? Yeah, so let me. It's like somebody needs to write a book on this stuff. I mean, somebody, somebody, yeah, somebody. Yeah, so we we'll get Fry. So let me let me kind of rattle off some. I I don't know that there's a, a bona fide model for each one of these that we can say. And in in reality, I would say that their model it is uh, collegiate churches are a learning organization, so they move at rapid pace, right? So a life cycle. You know, you think about the typical person who comes into a church. They could be there for twenty or thirty years in collegiate church environments. It's four years. If in they they can see students graduate and go out 
or if they're planting, it can only be seven years or so, or typically that's the norm as they're moving people out. So it's a, it's a learning organization. There's a lot of change to go. So let me just kind of hit highlights. So the Grace Point folks, uh, so they're UC Berkeley around that area. Uh, what what they will see happen or what they'd see do, there's about 3,000 people in their system. Um, actually in 20, 2017, I believe it was, 2,500 people and they had 500 baptisms of college students. That's one of the wow. five ratios. Uh, what they'll do is bring people in community, uh, take them on uh, summer project mission trips. Uh, every, every weekend they're taking teams out, like uh, small group teams out. And in the process, they're bringing students into their homes a lot. So they, they have a terminology called refrigerator rights. They want to have students in their home so they can see their family, see what's life's going on, that kind of thing. They have uh, typically when they plant, they'll have a lead pastor and spouse. When they go into community, they'll buy a home in that community. Family will live, the, the, fam, the pastor's family will live on the top floor. Um, they will often be larger homes. They'll have some staffers living in the home as, as well, typically in the basement, sometimes on that floor with them. But then the first floor is all ministry space and by pool in the house. I mean, I know it sounds crazy. It's kind of really expensive to do that. But what they'll do is they'll, they'll set that up and then buy homes. They'll send teams of eight to 10 out and they'll buy homes in proximity in, uh, in proximity to the universities. So they'll bring students into this life online stuff. Uh, the only one who gets paid by the church is the pastor and his spouse and everybody else. They work full-time jobs, typically in jobs like computer science or in in places with Silicon Valley. I mean, you go to Berkeley, they're doing a lot of computer science degrees. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is they'll give 10 to 20 hours a week beyond what they do on, uh, beyond what they do in their full-time jobs to the ministry of the church. So this is uh, it'd be like you, the three of us, instead of being on the state convention, we have jobs in companies. And once we get done with our 40 hour a week job, and they will be very vigilant about having 40 hours a week as much as possible, cramming the hours in, and then they'll go and then do discipleship a couple nights a week. Sometimes they'll do breakfast in the mornings with the students and then leave the weekends uh, for activity. So that's kind of their model. It's kind of a bivocational collegiate church planning model. Um, to this point in time, to my knowledge, they take no funding from the outside. They plant completely on their own and wow. what they do. So it's, it's pretty, pretty remarkable there. Uh, collegiate ministry up at Washington State University. So this is Resonate. Uh, they were a Baptist collegiate ministry up there um, at Washington State University in Pullman, Washington. Shifted over from a collegiate ministry to a collegiate church plan. Had a pretty big launch. Maybe they averaged 50 in their college ministry. They launched with 169. And they have used a multi-sided model. Their goal is to be on 21 campuses by 2021. It is very much a 20% uh, community folks. 80% college students, and when they launch, that number gets even smaller for community folks. But uh, they will fund, uh, they'll, they'll use a support-based ministry system, so all their staff are raising support. Uh, to this point, they're exploring this co-vocational approach more, because you're wanting to move faster, raise up, but they will seek to reach a college student as a freshman, and we'll talk about church planning with them as freshmen. And by age, uh, by age 23, 24, they're making an ask on them for two years post-college to go to a place where they're going to be planting next. Uh, they'll have done mission trips and spring break trips to the new campuses where they're going to. And then they're, they're typically trying to plant out a planter and a spouse by 25 with four or five on staff with them. And, and then seeing students who graduated or who will transfer, they want to send about 20 to 25 on the new campus community. So they're by far the youngest average age of planters, 25. 
Uh, Grace Point, they're a little bit older than that. Uh, Their planters are typically in that 30 to 32 age range. Uh, when we shift over to the salt company, guys, um, I'm going to use Chinese dualism for a minute, right? The yin and the yang. I don't think it's terrible to do in this kind of podcast. Yeah. Wait, you heard it here first. They were talking about dualism. That's right. Yeah, that's right. But, Liberals. Uh, Liberals. Yeah, if you can think about the, the yin and the yang, their college ministry drives their church and church drives their college ministry. Uh, so a huge, robust college ministry program and huge church. And they drive each other. And if you want to see that or understand it more, just Google them a little bit and just see some of the videos that are out there. But uh, they they do back. They 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 would not say, "Hey, we're a collegiate church per se." They say we're a we're a church in a community, but we're seeking to reach the college campus. So that's another model. When we go over to H two O, and there's a very similar to resonate, uh, only except for they plant typically in tandem with two pastors because they feel like it's. It's best if we always have the next man up in the pastoral staff. And it's, it's protection as you're working with a lot of young people, a lot of college students. It's just better when you have two pastors in place in their mindset and their thinking. So that, those are kind of the four major models or the 3.5 major models that are out there. I, yeah. I, I think that's, that's good for, for the time that we have today. Yeah, yeah. And, and all of them, from what I've been able to gather, heavy emphasis on leadership development. Oh my goodness! Uh, you know, yeah. from freshmen, you know, all of them get them as freshmen, train them up, send them out, and uh, um, you know, and and it's you know we're having this church planning conversation around you know college campuses, but the things that they're doing, every church planter should be doing. Heavy wow. emphasis on evangelism. Heavy emphasis on you know cultural exegesis and engaging your community. Heavy emphasis on leadership development. I mean, these are this is not a distinctly unique conversation, other than the fact that it's tied in with a collegiate campus. I mean, it's you know same stuff, and uh, and so I, yeah, this is just exciting to me. I, I think the rapid change and that that necessity, the, the urgency of doing that development quickly and intentionally creates that environment. Um, uh, yeah, I guess the, re- the, the, the short time they have them kind of facilitates that rapid reproduction environment that maybe some of our typical church plants don't sense and don't feel. But, but you, you know, and, and just to, this is now beyond the collegiate church planning discussion, but for all planters that are listening in, and as you guys are, if you're a planter and you're listening into this, one of the key things, about reaching college students is they're they're in a moment of being disenfranchised, right? They left their family of origin. They have not created their own family uh, of destination yet. So they're new. They're all coming into this new place and they're trying to figure out what's going on. So college students really have about 30 days before they lock into their patterns and rhythms. So when you look at your community and you think, okay, how do we take the principles there? What are the evergreen principles that we can pull that and plug into planting? If you have people in your community who are new to your community, who are disenfranchised to your community, if you're in a military community, people are rolling in. Anybody who's new, uh, man, you see some a for sale site in your yard and then it goes down, go meet those people, right? Because people who are in that state of transition are often the ones who need community most, and we understand the gospel and community work together beautifully. So, if you're listening in, that's that's it. it's not a silver bullet, but it's uh, really <laughs> it's really that's, good. That's platinum. That's good. Good word. Good word. Good word. <laughs> I love that. 
Uh, it was good. All right, Chad, you got anything? Um, man, that's, you know, did we talk sustainability yet, Dave? No, let's, yeah, let's hit that. Cause you, you resonate. You said, I think was 20%, you know, mm-hmm. kind of community and then 80% college students, you know, that's always one of the big questions we get. And, and they're raising outside support for most of their staff guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which, this has put us in a, in a problem with some of the collegiate church planting because w- when you're reaching pagans on the campus, right? When you reach people who don't have a relationship with Christ and who have coming out of their families of origin, have no relationship with Christ. Then you're going to go say, Hey, I've left my major because I'm going to be on a ministry staff. And uh, so that makes all the kind of, <laughs> well, you're going to do what? And how much money does that pay? Well, it doesn't pay money, mom and dad. I need you to help pay for this. And I'm going to go ask. How many phone calls from parents have you received? (laughs) More than you can imagine. But frankly, here's what happens. People come to know Christ and they hear about what's going on. And parents are like, what have you done to my, my child was going to be an engineer. They were doing so well. And and then what the planters say is, why don't you come and see what we do? Man, we Uh we want you to know what's going on. And we've seen multiple families come to know Christ. Wow. Students have gone back and said, Mom and Dad, this is what it's about. They've seen such remarkable change in yeah. their children about these children who have now started walking with Jesus. So, but the, the issue that you bring up, Chad, is sustainability. So what, what do we do there? So yeah, they are raising. Go you ahead. Said, you said Grace Point kind of does it different. Yeah, yeah they do. Kind of, so okay. here's okay. what I say. When, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, no, it's okay. When the collegiate churches start – people who invest in them need to think, oh, this is not going to be a two-year two, two year path to sustainability. The likelihood is this is going to be a five- to seven-year path to sustainability. So that, I mean, you just you got to understand that. you got to know that going in, eyes wide open into that. So, again, if you are a pastor of a local church and you guys are pretty big and pretty awesome, you feel like, hey, man, we're going to attack this thing, it, do not, do not underestimate the talent talk and say, hey, well, this is a two-year commitment for us financially and we're out. It's going to take longer. Here's the reality, though. Unless this is a church, when we talk about Resonate, Resonate is trying to plant in multiple places. So the cost for them to plant and continue to plant, they got to raise a whole lot more money in their dollars. Almost every penny that they bring in that's not going to the key staff that's there or their leadership team and going to the, the buildings that they're in, which they meet on campus primarily. So there's a minimal cost that's involved in that. Most of their dollars are going to startup costs for the next plants that are coming out. So that just hear that. Most within seven years become sustainable. And here's what takes place. They typically, as students are coming to know Christ, they're bringing them into the community. They're seeing them be a part of the family. When they graduate, many of them are sticking and staying and we're seeing launches of community venues. So I, frankly, this is what happened when we're talking about Salt Company. I mean, it's a massive, uh, massive organization. There are, uh, out of their 11 plants, I think they had 10,000 plus uh, in worship uh, on, an average, on an average week. I think they had 15,000 at Easter. Well, what the way they started was they planted in 1994 with 20 community folk and 200 college students. And because they've kept that commitment, we're going to be laser focused on reaching the college campus and we're going to continue to live in the gospel in the worlds that we live. They've been able to fund the thing out. And, and Grace points a similar way. H2O said for a long time, hey, we don't want to do that because some of the problems that they had early on with some other planting. But even now, they're starting to launch H2O Ohio State, H2O Bowling Green. They have launched community venues, and that is funding. it. So sustainability, it's going to cost. It's going to take longer to move to sustainability, but we're watching more and more the collegiate church plans are becoming sustainable from within, 
And frankly, they're continuing to be, I mean, they're increasing their cooperative program giving, their Annie Armstrong giving, uh, IMB giving as, as time goes on. And then I think here's the big discussion we're having now is I don't think it, I know it. We're trying to figure out the co-locational piece so that all the funding can come from within. So ideally what Grace Point is doing, where it takes no denominational funding, it doesn't need money from the outside, that's what we would seek to do systemically. And if, if we can get, if we can crack that code, man, church planning in North America, man, it, it will light up if, if we can get that piece figured out. So what you're saying is if you could line out Brad Briscoe, you yes. would... So I, you joke, right? But this good last luck, week, we were good in luck with that guy. What, I mean, we were, I mean, he's, he's a hot mess. But we, <laughs> we had a conversation with him and with Daniel Yang and Jeff Christopherson yeah. and guys from around the country who are doing that well, and they take no money from the outside. So yeah. it's, uh, uh, it's exciting days, man. It's yeah. almost movemental. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I, of course, you know, Brad's a great buddy and uh, love that whole conversation, you know, and, and to be able to take that engineering student, you know, and say, look, get that engineering degree and uh, let's help you figure out a rhythm of life that will be sustainable and work where you can have that engineering degree and plant this church as well with a team of people that are doing the same thing. And, uh, and I, I the exponential impact Absolutely. of figuring that piece out, you know, is, is huge. So, big, yeah. Well, we're, and we're all dependent on Brad to figure that out on his own. So uh, yeah, come on, Brad, come it's on, like Brad, a- you, you got a book <laughs> coming out. Now let's book time for book number two. And, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so anyway, all right. Well, man, any other, did we miss anything that people need to know about collegiate church planning, campus ministry, yeah, I, I'm I, sure there's a lot. Oh, I'm sure. I, you know, I think if, if you are interested in this model and um, I mean, you're, you're really wanting to pursue it. I, I would encourage you to check out one of the hitchhiker events. You can just yeah. do collegiate hitchhiker, collegiate church planning hitchhiker. Uh, we typically do one or two a year. Um, it, it's not a y'all come event. Uh, honestly, uh, it, it's, we, we try to see a senior pastor come in with the guy or, or the couple who are wanting to plant so they can experience it together. Uh, so I, I would encourage you, before you say, hey, I'm going to plant a collegiate church on this campus, go hang out with some people who paid the dumb tax to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. So frankly, you go into a university environment and you say, hey, we're here to plant a church. It's kind of like going into a closed country and doing that. You, you can make a whole lot of missteps really quickly. Yeah. So learn from those who, who have done, done, done the process. Um, some, some people get a little, a, little bit, uh, get a little bit angsty about the fact that there are not enough generations in the church. And they'll, they'll say, hey, you can't have this monogenerational church. We, and we, in fact, said we call it monogenerational church just to bring up the issue more. And uh, so some people will say, hey, because it's only college students, then it can't be the church. Well, I, I want to see what happens if you go into a church that everybody there is in their 60s and 70s, and you say, hey, you guys only have one generation president, therefore you cannot be a church. You yep. just get your head handed to you you can't go and do that so when we look at churches wherever they are whatever time we, we all need to understand that it is a we're taking a slice of time we're taking a snapshot of where they are right now do they need to get better sure are there areas where they can grow all of them they can everyone they can learn but don't don't diminish or be condescending towards a church where you're having people who as college students if they are successful in their 20s planting churches 
than what happens in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. Yeah. Church planning is a normal part of their ethos. It'll be yeah. just like your daughter. I mean, she will be locked into reaching freshmen and planting on some level for life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And one day she won't be a 20 something college student anymore, Absolutely. you know, and give them time. They will grow up. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And stuff. yeah, I, you know, we have this affinity based church playing conversation all the time. And the reality is that every church has an affinity. It's either a socioeconomic and ethnic, mm-hmm. a cultural something that makes it affinity, but the good ones don't stay there. They do broaden. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, that's just a, uh, it's anyway. <laughs> okay, moving on. Okay. Well, you guys have asked phenomenal questions, and just just love uh, what Arkansas is doing and, yeah. and what you guys have done. You said such a rich legacy, and frankly, such a great horizon ahead. Yeah. It's just it's beautiful, man. It's blue ocean. Hey, when and where is the next Hitchhikers? Uh, in case guys want to know, uh, listen to this podcast. Yeah, what, next one is coming up quick. Uh, it's October 10, 11, and twelve. Uh, and that's out in Ames, Iowa. It's a smaller uh, gathering, so if, if you're wanting to come to it, uh, you can take a look at it at hitchhikersaltco.com, uh, but let me encourage you. Um, my email address is just bfrye at nam.net, so again, bfry at nam.net. If you're interested in going, ping me an email, and, uh, and let, let's talk about it a little bit more. There are more that are on the horizon, but uh, I kind of, uh, frankly, I, I've moved away from, hey, we need to get everybody to come to this thing, to really try to find people who are interested in it and who have the capacity and have the desire and the grit to pull it off. Yeah. And, and that, that comes out through those conversations along the way, but anybody who's interested would love to talk with you. More. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That'd be great. I, I enjoyed, uh, I went to resonate. It, it's crazy. It was October last year. Uh, and, uh, it was fun. It was a good time. Enjoyed it. Did a lot of tear sheets, uh, repented of a lot of sin uh, unpack some emotional baggage in front of 350 uh, other people. And all that's because of Brian Fry. So <laughs> you exaggerate the numbers. It was only on written. Hey, Chad, seriously. Uh, I, know, I know we're times get away from us, but now what was your biggest takeaway? I mean, what, what did you see there that you hadn't seen before? She went Dude, so I'm not an old guy, but I am late thirties and being around that many 20 early 20 year olds who were thinking church planting and seeing the people being sent out from resonate who were in their early twenties and how they're, they're processing that. And I think it was, I hate to quote Keith Weezer cause he, he might hate me for that. But I think it was in a, a breakout with him that he kind of said, look, I, we're sending these guys out. They are in their early twenties. I'm going to have to coach them. They may not know the answer, but if they can find the answer, that's what we're concerned about. So like seeing them process and struggle and just seeing people in their young 20s, that was the thing that stood out to me that I was most encouraged about. Number one, that I was the old dude in the room. And, and number two, that there were so many just 20-somethings wanting to do this was just – it was awesome, man. It was a great – there were so many things that I could say. I really enjoyed it, but that's – really cool, man. Yeah. Really cool. Well, and you know, here's the fascinating thing about this, you know, the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does and the Holy Spirit can really help us not step in it, <laughs> you know, and sometimes we want to kind of script it so tightly that the Holy Spirit's removed from this, you know, unleashing a 25 year old, you know, in a church plant and you got to trust that he's loved Jesus and Jesus loves him. 
and together that's the better combination than us you know in all that and, and i think i don't know i think i've read it somewhere a uh, pretty significant leader uh who uh maybe commissioned uh, 11 or so 18 <laughs> to 25 maybe 26 year olds to change the world with a great commission. Yeah. I, I, you know, he taught him for three years. And yeah. What was that guy's and, name? And go, uh, man, go. Make disciples of all the nations. Yeah. I'm a little biased. So what yeah. you're saying is Jesus had one less year than most college students have. Right. So. And look what he did with that time. Look what he did with that time. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Rodney, we had Rodney Reeves on here, uh, an old professor of Dave's, um, that said, you know, Paul wrote letters and his whole thing was that's really encouraging to us because there were problems and Paul wrote letters to address those problems. And so it's like, it's like we feel like we've got to have all this figured out and everything right and everything yeah. in this box. And it's just, that's not life, you know, that's not ministry. Yeah. And listen, I'm all about vetting people and assessing people, but sometimes you just gotta, if you're going to have movement, you got to be a little bit more on the edge than that. So yeah. want to swim, get in the pool. Yep. That's right. Figure it out along the way. Come on, man. <laughs> All right, man, Brian, thanks so much. This was fun. And uh, sure enough, y'all uh, check out the Hitchhikers Conferences, uh, blow up Fry's email box, inbox mm -hmm. and with questions. And uh, he is a wealth of knowledge and uh dive into that big brain of his and uh wade into this conversation and i you know i i had another conversation i won't say who yet because it's early but we had another conversation with a significant church in arkansas about a collegiate church plant uh in one of our uh, uh much needed areas and so we've got another one coming and potentially uh another one following that so uh i won't out you guys yet but uh Good stuff coming. Good stuff Keep coming. Fry, are you up for a little rapid fire? Oh, we forgot. Oh, yeah, yeah man. Yeah, hit me. Hit me. Yeah. Hit me. All right. All right. All right. So, ahead, uh, uh, top one or two books that have had the most impact on you. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I would, I, I think uh, for this audience, uh, one, one of the most important books you need to read, like yesterday, is Defining Decade by Meg Jay. Now, it, it's, not, it, it's not like the two books of all time. But it is super, if you have, if you are a 20-year-old, if you have a 20-year-old, if you know a 20-year-old, you need to read that book. It, Cole Pinnock introduced me to it, and I've, I've probably bought 250 copies of that thing to get to people. Oh, and wow. I, it's just really good. Meg J, Defining Decade. Um, the second thing I think is, if you are thinking movementally, you really need to, to read um, the book, The Starfish and the Spider by Ori Brockman. Oh, man. Um, what, what they talk about, they have about 60 pages where they talk about the, the devolving of music and how it went from record companies and how they no longer have control to this play, like Emule, E-Donkey. I mean, all leading up to Spotify. It, it is just remarkable to see when you pull that application over to how we do churches. Um, really, really good. And if you're really a nerd and you want to think future and big picture, I, mean, I would encourage you to re read um, The Blue Ocean Strategy yeah. by Kim and Marbonne. Um, it is so... Uh, 
thinking blue ocean, if you don't understand that nomenclature, it was just very, very valuable to you. So that, that's three. Okay. Yeah. Dude, you know, Brian Sanders made a comment, uh, Tampa underground made a comment at exponential last year that I've never forgotten. And it ties into the blue ocean strategy. He said, you know, in, in the art world, you've got positive and negative spaces. And he said, we want to be the church that reaches into the negative spaces where nobody else is. That's the blue ocean. Mm-hmm. Quit fighting everybody else for the, the, the low hanging fruit over here, you know, the and blood in the water kind of stuff. Let's go where nobody's going and reach people that nobody's touching. And I'm telling you, man, that, that is a pivotal book. Mm. As well. It's really good. Yeah. Mm. Really good. Biggest strength and weakness in ministry for you, B Fry. Yeah. So strength, um, make, making connections, seeing how things work together. Um, really, I, I, uh, I, I can I can see connections and see how they happen, see how they fit together, and and I, I live in that. I do that. Um, the greatest weakness is the shepherding element. I become impatient. I make judgments too quickly on people what they do. In fact, I was, was just um, I was just thinking through some of that this weekend. As uh, yeah, as it's just in my walk, I I need, I need to take the view of Jesus when it comes with people that he is always working on everyone. And no matter where they are, no matter what they're doing, they are redeemable and, and they have the Imago Day rich within them. So mm. cultivating that piece up, that, that, that is a piece. Let's yeah. follow up a, a follow-up conversation. Me and you can tear sheet through that. I'd, I'd like to walk you through Touche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, favorite yes. hobby or pastime? Um, favorite hobby or pastime. Um, man, it, it, here, here's what it, it, so both for my wife and for me, our number one strength finder is individualization. So we love to figure out people and then invest in them and help them take the next step in whatever it is. I mean, we go in, we hang out with people at dinners or whatever, and then we spend the next hour once it's all done talking about them. And trying to figure out <laughs> like, this morning over breakfast, we were, tra- there's a planter we know, and there's a gal we know, we're trying to connect them to get married. I mean, where does it come from? That's so weird. But, uh, and that's that's what's your hobby oh i analyze people <laughs> and i'm a matchmaker <laughs> yeah. that's great yeah, you got a favorite movie uh patriot man mel gibson that whole i uh, just love love that yeah yeah favorite band or musician uh so really <laughs> love harry connick jr i mean he's just my fave of all time and really have enjoyed uh the band nickel creek although they are no longer together yeah. that kind of hip bluegrass type feel i like um but then punch brothers say, say again punch brothers punch Brother. i'm getting into a little bit mm. now if if you uh if you rode down the road with the boys they would say oh dad likes luigi cappuccino i'm like <laughs> you don't say Pavarotti, you know, so funny. <laughs> so I listened a little bit to that. And I also am a fan of Bon Jovi. So that's, uh, you know, taking. When, when you said Nickel Creek, I, I thought you were going to say Nickel back and we were going to have to delete this podcast. So we're good, though. We're yeah. good. I don't, I'm, I don't know who they are. Who are they? Do you ah! in your collection? Yeah. Yes. Chad's got them on uh, uh, 
on his in his in his old iPod. Look yeah. at this photograph. <laughs> Oh, I have no idea what that is. Uh, dude, I'm a Nickel Creek. I'm not a bluegrass fan, but I love Christila uh, and Nickel Creek and Punch Brothers. Man, the Who's Feeling Young Now album. Oh my gosh, so good. The Lighthouse by Nickel Creek, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, All right dude. Hey, that was good. Good rapid fire. All right, man. All right, man. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks check out Hitchhikers. Check out what's going on, collegiate church planning around the, the country. A uh, shout out to our buddy Aaron Rogers from Arkansas, planting on the University of Kansas campus in Lawrence. Yeah, that's right. Uh, launched uh, this weekend. Man, proud of you guys. Excited to see what's coming of that. And uh, and then and, Brad Branham coming up here to Yeah, come. and playing for the Packers on the weekends. Pretty yes, hard. he is. He is. Yeah, those are identical. Two kids on the side. No. That's right. In his you know, spare time. It's not bad. That's right. That's right. All right, guys. We'll see you next time on The Grind.